Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Laura, and this is Where Work Meets Life, and I'm absolutely delighted today to bring you an episode on the power of exercise to optimize your brain and mental wellness with the Dr. John Rady. Uh, as I continue to explore the latest research and recommendations around well-being and mental resiliency uh, on the podcast, I was really intrigued uh, by Dr. Rady's latest book, which is on Spark, the revolutionary new science of exercise and your brain. You can see all the tabs I have in this because I'm super uh, passionate about this topic. Uh, Dr. Rady is a very, very well-known expert uh, in the world of ADHD, having written Driven to Distraction with his co-author, which is probably the most widely known resource around the world on ADHD. And then he didn't stop there. He followed it up with about 10 or so more books, um, including ADHD 2.0, ADHD at Work, etc. But he's gotten more and more into brain science and exercise in the last number of years and he'll describe more of that to us. He's deeply respected in the field of psychology uh, in America, where he's from, but also around the world. And he's also respected in my field of psychology, as well as education and other arenas. Uh, But first and foremost, Dr. Rady is a psychiatrist. He works at the Harvard Medical School as an associate clinical professor, but he also maintains his private practice in Boston as well as LA, and he's very dedicated to not only the research, but to his patients and helping human lives. Um, And he was actually chosen as one of the top uh, psychiatrists in the US um, by his peers. So without further ado, welcome to Where Work Meets Life, Dr. Rady. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'd love to talk to somebody from Calgary, my goodness. And we were talking earlier about how you've been to our city numerous times to speak. Yes, yes, yes. Exciting. Exciting place. Wonderful. And you're truly a global citizen, having lived and traveled in many places. Right now you're in Hawaii. You've relocated some of the year there. Tell us about your life these days. Oh, it's uh, uh, post-COVID. I'm getting, we're getting back to where we were. So we used to... Uh, travel quite a lot to uh, various uh, countries, especially Asia, uh, where they tend to believe in science uh, and like the idea that uh, exercise has an incredible science history and and science pedigree uh, that they can use on their schools and in their workplaces and so forth. So. Uh, but where where we are, I mean, I, I we live primarily in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and here in Hawaii, Honolulu, uh, as well, making stops for a while in Los Angeles, and in northern Michigan, uh, on Lake Huron in the summer. So, yeah, I'm very fortunate, and I love the Zoom because it allows one to be everywhere all at once. Right, everywhere, all at once. That is very well put. And regarding the work that you're doing on exercise and its relation to the brain and how it can beat stress and sharpen focus, etc., tell us uh, what led you to your growing uh, research and interest in this topic and led you to write Spark. 
Well, they're a, a lifetime spent exercising and realizing the power that it had for me, uh, but also following it in the profession and realizing that it had a very big effect on mood, on depression. And then uh, an index patient who uh, heard me speak early in 1982, uh, which seems so long ago, but uh, it, it was like yesterday to me. I was uh, struck with the uh, number of adults I had seen who had ADHD and uh, were diagnosed with something else and they were having a terrible time of it. Um, but And I was talking about it and one of the people hearing me was a professor at Harvard and at MIT, and he said, can I come see you? And this story is important because it led to both uh, limbs of my career. Um, he uh, was a marathoner uh, all of his life and had to stop marathoning because he hurt his knee and was rehabbing that, but it took a, a good long time. And he developed symptoms of consistent with the tension deficit disorder which he had never had before. So, and I was talking about it and he came to see me. I put him on medicine. He got so much better back to where he was. But what really changed was when his knee got better and he began to run his seven miles a day. Uh, he no longer needed his medicine and his symptoms still were gone. So, um, you know, it just, it, it struck me, it, it turned me on to the two fields. So I spent my life in both now. That is just so wonderful. And what a great story. So whom is the book for? Who should be reading this book? And what impacts do you hope to make with it? I think everyone should be reading the book. I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great for those in education. Uh, but certainly in psychology and psychiatry and uh, dealing with uh, the, the wide range of human human beings. It's uh, wellness uh, first and, and then different disorders second. Uh, so there's a chapter on ADD, there's a chapter on depression, a chapter on anxiety, and a big chapter on women uh, because exercise has a very big place uh, for women. Uh, uh, much more than I, I knew when I began to, to research it uh, was amazing how much a bang for their buck women get when they exercise. Absolutely. And what I really like too about the book is the case studies that really brought it to life and the people. You could just feel that these were real people, real situations and the challenges they faced as human beings and how... Uh, exercise help them in different ways. Right, and, and the idea is that it, uh, we had real life people uh, along mixed in with the, the, the science, uh, the case studies, the, the uh, big research studies that uh, were extended. And actually, uh, a lot coming early in uh, the, the life uh, from Canada. So uh, it, uh, Three Rivers, uh, big study there on exercise and its impact in the school. You call it Trois Rivières or something like that. I've never quite. It's called Trois Rivières, and I spent a whole summer there 
immersed in French and I was not allowed to speak English that whole summer. I was 18 and it actually, I, I spoke French pretty good at the end of that summer. I'll bet you did. I'll bet you had a lot of fun too. That's, that's a... A ton of fun. Yeah, you could sneak in English words at the bar, right? <laughs> Yeah, I really appreciated the points about school and schools and exercise in schools. And you talked about how schools, you know, back in the day, you know, back in the day, if you were uncoordinated, you were pushed aside and you were chosen last on the team. And I remember being one of those kids, actually, where I was chosen last. I was the last to come in on a run. And it actually made me detest phys ed class now i'm a squash player i i love yoga i love you know different types of cardio but it really had a negative impact for years on me so can you speak about a little bit about the schools and how that needs to shift and is shifting well i hope it's shifting and enough i mean i think we we have to be very uh, even-handed uh, there's an inequity in, in, in what, what we think of with exercise and with physical activity and, and certainly in physical education where you spend a lot of time choosing up teams and, and, and you don't get picked if you're not very good or you get picked last and, and so you, you get disheartened. What the school I talk about in the first chapter, Naperville, Illinois, uh, had revolutionized physical education where they were looking at fitness first uh, and they got around uh, the whole issue of uh, uh, the athletes and those very coordinated folks having a, a leg up so to speak uh, by using heart rate monitors early in, uh, in in the day there and giving the grades to people who spent a certain amount of time in the cardiac training zone where the heart rate zone was higher so that it, they sh it had to, it showed that they had to be doing the work uh, and the whole PE program had changed and uh, this was remarkable and I heard about them because they also had attained 3% uh, 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 of their kids were overweight of 19,000 children in their school district. And uh, they had taken this international science and math test, the TIMS test, which every country takes every three years, but they got to take it as a country uh, for just for uh, to see what, what, where things are. The U.S. is usually 16th or 17th, somewhere in the late teens amongst all the countries in the world. They took it as a country and they came in number one in the world in science and number six in math. That got me on an airplane to go see what the heck was going on out there. Uh, not only were they among the healthiest, but they were among the smartest kids. Uh, and yes, it was a upper middle class uh, school, but there are plenty of those around that weren't doing nearly as well on both scores on health and on uh, their abilities in the classroom. So uh, I went there and fell in love with the school and, and it led me to write the book Spark. Beautiful, beautiful story. And it makes me think of how much I, I'd say young people are struggling post-pandemic with what I am seeing are greater levels of anxiety, 
stress and depression. Are you seeing the same thing, Dr. Rady? And what are your thoughts on what's going on for our young people? Oh, yeah. No, it, it definitely. The lockdown was uh, was very traumatic for a lot of kids, uh, certainly those who in the very younger uh, ages where they usually had a lot of socialization when they went to school, whether it's kindergarten or first or second grade. And, and for them not to be socialized, not to be integrated with other kids, played havoc with their parents trying to contain them, but it also really cheated them out of a very important social emotional experience and uh, physical experience because uh, most people weren't outside, um, you know, because they were afraid of catching the virus. Uh, or whatever, and uh, it, it, it was, uh, so they became more citizens of their phones and their computer screens um, than they were of interacting with the world in a physical, active kind of way. Hmm. And the repercussions are, are still going on with heightened levels of uh, anxiety, for instance. Oh, yeah, and anxiety amongst the kids is way off the chart now, yeah, and and uh, and mood changes and uh, and for instance, the diagnosis of ADD is really, really greatly uh, increased such that we're in a very severe crisis uh, with the me medicines run out. Uh, we can't keep up with the medication for people that are taking medicine for ADHD. And it's really true. I have people who spend hours trying to find a pharmacy who still has medicine um you know it's oh yeah it's 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 a grim situation my goodness and are you seeing similar trends when it comes to antidepressants no well no the antidepressants were there they're making plenty of that uh but it, but it, it's it's really the stimulants um that uh, because more and more people showed symptoms of ADHD when they're confined and when they're not moving. Uh, and that's what I talk about. I talked about this morning to Slovenia about how exercise is so useful for ADHD. Uh, and it, it really is. So let's let's talk about that. So exercise for anxiety, exercise for ADHD. You talk in the book how it can complement the the effects of the medications and in some cases replace them, not in all cases. Uh, that's clear. But tell us more about how exercise does it and what types of exercise matter. Well, <clears throat> how exercise does it, it does it because it all the movement that we have really generates so much activity in our brain. And when this happens, we release a lot of neurotransmitters, especially with when we're thinking of uh, attention, we think of dopamine and norepinephrine. Uh, uh, we release a lot more of that because we're using those nerve cells. And when that happens, it's, it's similar to using our stimulants. So uh, that's what they do. They increase the concentration of those neurotransmitters and make our attention system sing. So with exercise, that's what you see. That's what happens. Uh, as well, you see a, a calming and anxiety is less because of uh, its effect on serotonin and uh, GABA and other uh, neur neurotransmitters we're seeing 
changes there, seeing great changes in the neurohormones uh, and the endorphins and endocannabinoids. And one that's got uh, everybody's interest recently is that it increases the level of oxytocin or the love hormone, the bonding hormone, the hormone that makes you more altruistic, uh, makes you more loving, as well as more lovable. Uh, people are more attracted to you, want to bond with you. Uh, this is why, by the way, what we see in any of these exercise groups, they group together because they want to. And part of that is driven by their biology that's changed. That is so interesting. And I was talking to someone who runs fitness studios yesterday, and she said only about 2 to 4% of people are going to regular group exercise, like going to a gym or an exercise class. And does that surprise you? And how can we get more people out into exercise together? Right. But but that that doesn't, it, it accounts for what's happening today. I think people are not using the gyms nearly as much because they're finding other ways to get their exercise in, or that's the hope. So you have these running groups, you have these biking groups, you have these swimming groups that are outside of the gym, not related at all to the gym. Uh, and certainly here in Hawaii, uh, we we have a great Central Park uh, three blocks away from where we live, where my wife and I go to Zumba uh, uh, four mornings a week in the park outdoors and uh, no, no charge, just for 40 or 50 people doing Zumba together. And uh, it's great. It, it, it increases socialization tremendously which is so important for our wellness and our overall health. That's fantastic. And you practice what you preach here, I think, which says a lot. Um, so let's uh, talk about exercise and improving our mental health a little bit more. So you talk about Zumba four mornings a week, but can you give us some more direction in terms of if I have seven days to work with, how much of it should be cardio versus strength versus flexibility and the, kind of what's, what's the balance in, in general? The balance, it, it depends on the person. Um, you know, today, uh, strength training and, and muscle training is more in vogue, perhaps. Uh, but, you know, that, that doesn't, you know, most of our research is done with cardio uh, and aerobic exercises, getting our heart rates up. And the fact is, when you are doing a, a lot of weight training, you're getting your heart rate up. You're, you're using your brain quite a bit. Uh, and now we, uh, so the prescription would be uh, what the health and human services uh, groups around the world agree on, uh, that we should have 150 minutes of exercise a week divided into uh, about uh, two thirds of that being uh, aerobic and a third being weight training and uh, balance training, throwing that in. So what should people do? Dance, dance, dance. Uh, it's, it's probably the best form of uh, exercise that we can do. Uh, one of your P 
people from one of your psychologists uh, from uh, Vancouver is a, a really big proponent of that, Adele Diamond, who uh, is one of the leading neuroscientists in the world. Uh, and she says, look, baby, dance, you know, get out there and dance. It's the best way to get your, turn your brain on uh, and and have fun doing it. And, and that's a big part of, of, of exercises appeal is to be with somebody, have fun, uh, and and it, it, the more you <clears throat> you stress your brain, the better it is. So you want to do things that are more complicated, that are more challenging, uh, and that pushes pushes you. And it, and if you can do it, and and have fun and laugh, um, uh, my goodness, that's the best. So that's why pickleball has turned turned into such a big thing, and and especially in our older folks. Pickleball. Uh, I don't know whether it's in Canada, but it, yeah, it is. It sure is. Oh yeah, uh, but it really is something here. So, um, but it and, and mainly because it's easy enough and it's fun, and you know people really get to enjoy themselves doing it. So they keep coming back to it. Like I said, I'm a squash player, but as you get older, squash isn't the best sport for the body. So people graduate to double squash, less intense on the body, and then they graduate to pickleball. I was a squash player for 35 years. So, and, and the only reason I'm not anymore is because I ruined my shoulder. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it just, yeah. So such is life. I had th 30 years or so of, of very intense squash games. Uh, we never could get the never could get to doubles. It, it was too complicated. But the squash really works your brain, doesn't it? Like the like the patterns, the strategy. Strategy and switching and changing and quick reactions and moving and you're never you're never you're never not moving. Yeah, that's true. At least you should be moving all the time, not admiring your shot, last shot, which I'm occasionally guilty of. But <laughs> um, okay, so my next question is about organizations because I'm an organizational psychologist. I always like to look at our work lives, and when we look at organizations and their role in encouraging movement and exercise, what do you think their role is? Let's talk about workplace. I mean, it, it's a big, uh, it has been a big bonus to include exercise opportunities in the workday, whether that means uh, extended breaks or a membership in the gyms uh, or having some, we're doing it, I don't know about now post-COVID, uh, since everything was thrown up in the air in terms of the workplace as well. Um, but they were having like yoga instructors in a couple afternoons a week during their their lunch period, uh, stuff like that to to encourage the wellness on the job. Um, and I think that's a big thing for the schools is to go back to having fitness and and physical activity in the schools during the school day so that, you know, it's not just uh, going to after school sports. It's, it's, it's really getting your physical activity while you're uh, in, in school. So 
organizations uh, are so important and uh, now we have runaway organizations like CrossFit. Uh, <coughs> it's just been crazy, right? Uh, for how many people are involved with that? Um, I worked for Reebok for five years while they adopted CrossFit or somehow they were working together. So I knew a lot about it and it, and it really was surprising uh, how much and quickly it took off. And, uh, and one of the big appeals of CrossFit is that it encourages socialization. You become a team player, a team member. And these are people who never were team on any team uh, a lot of the times. And all that you have to do is come and learn and people support you and help you and, and push you towards uh, a, a better you, you know, whether it's lifting weights or running or balancing or whatever it is, uh, they're, they're, uh, there's that feeling of, of togetherness and glue of the human connection, which is so huge. That's such an important piece of it all, that community sense. And I think um, the whole notion of hybrid and remote work and working out of the office, that's, I think, the thing that we need to watch out for is that on your days when you are remote, that you are getting together. Maybe it's with a friend or in your community or a walk at lunch with someone. Right. The walking groups are very big uh, around the world and uh, and hopefully they'll continue to grow. But I... I do think people are going, getting away from going to the gym uh, and, and finding exercise outside of, uh, outside of the gym space, although I love the gym for using the weights and things and machines and all that, but uh, uh, yeah. So yeah, really, really interesting. Um, I really enjoyed this discussion. I'm curious um, to ask you this question that I ask all of my guests. If you didn't need to sleep and you could use that time to do whatever else you'd want to be doing, what would it be? Oh, I think uh, uh, traveling with my wife uh, and kids, if uh, you know, I can gather them together, uh, exploring new new areas. Um, we, we used to, we travel, have traveled quite a bit through work uh, but now we want to go and uh, see the world uh, uh, while well, we still can um, in, in many ways uh, uh, to see what's out there. And uh, for instance, uh, friends of ours are going on the, the famous walks in Spain. They're going from a, sort of a religious kind of deal, but it's like, I don't know, seven days, eight days of, of walking from place to place. And, Stuff like that, which is, just sounds so appealing. Biking through the northern France uh, and, or Norway. Uh, those are just, you know, that's what I'd like to do more of. I, uh, and, yeah, so, and we're, we're going to, but it, it's always that. We always have to make sure we do it. Absolutely. And now that travel's opened up and airlines are catching up with, with all of it gradually, uh, I think you'll be doing some pretty interesting adventures. So, yeah. 
That's awesome. And what's uh, one wish that you have for how the world could get better when it comes to wellness and our brains and brain health? Well, first is just to recognize how much a person can do about it. You know, I think that's that's uh, that really needs to be brought home, that the person can really do an awful lot. It doesn't take gym memberships. It doesn't take of uh, food memberships, you know, getting your food prepared, sent to you, or a smoothie sent to you, or whatever. You know, you can you can do so much on your own, uh, paying attention to to the wellness measures. But uh, and a big one that we've sort of hinted at and talked about is connection, is being involved with others, being involved with other groups. It's one of the reasons why. I'm so addicted here to Hawaii because people are very social. And by that, I mean, we gather. It's it's called the gathering aisle. But I mean, it's like we have to limit ourselves to th- three activities a day. <laughs> you know, otherwise you get, you just get full of one activity to another to another, but uh, which is great. But uh, you have to take time to be be on your own as well. Exactly. What a wonderful place to be at. Um, And for several months in a row, that's just great that you were able to make that happen and still be engaged in in your important work that you're doing for the world. Yeah, no, I'm I'm busier than ever out here. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. Do you have another book coming along that we should know about Dr. Rady? Nothing right yet, although we're, the project we're doing in Korea is very interesting. We're using exercise right before cognitive training um, uh, with the whole group of kids. First, we're going to do it in, in Korea and then uh, throughout, the, throughout the United States and probably Canada. But the, 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 the whole, uh, this, this is going to lead to another book um, and... Uh, perhaps sooner than than I would like. I, I thought I was done writing with uh, our last one, ADHD 2.0, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, it, uh, it it's pushing me to to do more, so. Well, that, that's why that brain is still brilliant and active, and I have that book as well. And it's interesting, it's for adults and childhood, so for everybody. So a lot of people I work with have ADHD, and they might be in leadership roles, executive roles, whatever, all the way to teens. I mean, it's it's all over the place. So um, is this book pr- full of practical tools and strategies? Oh yeah, no that that there there I think nine chapters in there, and two of them are about exercise, uh, about just regular exercise, and then uh, special exercise uh, to focus on balance and coordination training because that believe it or not has a huge effect on attention and uh, cognition in general. Okay, excellent. So thank you so much. You've shared so many great uh, nuggets and uh, people will enjoy reading these books. And if they haven't already, there's the links to the books in my show notes. And I'll also be following up with a blog. And yeah, I just really am excited to share this important uh, information and the latest science that, that backs all of this, Dr. Rady. So thank you so much for your time today. 
Well, good. I enjoyed being here and enjoyed meeting you. So uh, I hope we cross paths again. I sure hope so too. And uh, take care. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Where Work Meets Life. If you enjoyed this content, please rate and review the podcast as that helps me get it out to more people. Visit my website at drlaura.live and sign up for my monthly e-newsletter full of tips and resources. Please engage with us on social media and check out the podcast summary for links to my psychology practices, Canada Career Counseling, Calgary Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology. Stay well.